0: Welcome to More About Officership, an open and honest discussion about officership in Australia. As we move towards One Australia Territory, host Captain Matt Reeves is joined by officers from across the country to discuss the challenges and rewards of being an officer today. Well, it kind of is Matt Reeves, but it's kind of not. Uh, This week we're listening to the wonderful story of what Captains Pete and Di Hobbs are doing down on the peninsula. So Paul Trotter, candidate Paul Trotter, uh, is going to prompt them with some questions, Uh, listening to their story unfold about making the reality of Jesus known on the Bellarine Peninsula for the last eight years. So we listen to how they started, uh, some of the things they've learned, how it involves their family, what it means to start in a new community, uh, a new work of the Salvation Army. Before we kick into it, I want to say thank you to those that have connected with us via Facebook or email or phone or text, Um, we get lots of chitter-chatter in between podcasts and lots of questions. So if you've got more questions, keep them coming. Um, If you've got topics you'd like us to cover, if there's people that you think we should talk to, um, then we'd be really keen to do that as well. So hit us up. Uh, But this week, starting a missional community with Captains Pete and Di Hobbs.
1: Over to you, Paul Trotter. So there's a few questions we're going to ask during this segment. Um, Obviously, it's going to be in regards to people getting an understanding of what it's like to be in ministry um, but the first question I'm going to ask is, what did you guys? How did you guys come to know that you were going to be officers within the Salvation Army, and how, how did you hear your calling?
2: Obviously, I was a junior soldier at seven, so I remember vividly as I was leading the song in the meeting in England the, the little uh, corps I was at. They said, "Oh, he'll make a good officer one day." I was seven, <laughs> seven years old, and but then just through life, I had a, a really great, strong awareness of God and. There was a calling and I remember being at uni and I felt really called to uh, be part of the Limelight production that was started in Australia in 1900 or something. And I was studying film and television at the time so that gave me goosebumps that, oh, this is what God wants me to do and then I went on to do some of that. uh, We started Salvos Media in Sydney um, and got to travel the world making self-denial videos. So in that experience I got to see the army around the world and... That gave me a drive to go, yeah, I really love this. I really want to be part of this.
3: I'm similar to Pete in that I had a very strong sense of awareness of God's presence in my life. Yeah, I guess this sense that there was something greater than just me that was looking over us. And um, my mum and dad were both Salvation Army officers and from a very young age I had the privilege of them kind of thrusting me into leadership roles where I would, you know, stand on the platform at an early age and be reading the scripture and, um, and things like that. I didn't really get an, this sense of potentially a calling to ministry until probably about eight. <laughs> so that's quite early on. But uh, that also really informs some of the way in which I look at children today, actually, in, in the sense that I had a very strong sense of God's presence in my life. guidance in my life from a very young age so but it wasn't you know until 20 years later that actually that was really challenged Um, my mum and dad retired when i was in my early teens and that for me actually became a question as to whether that really was me hearing from god or whether that was just something that i had grown up with and was accustomed to and potentially that's what i kind of was growing into i really was started to question what it was that i wanted to do in, in the future. I had no idea. I love immersing myself in different cultures. And I really wanted to travel the world. And um, a few people just said, oh, why don't you do nursing? And for nursing for me was one of those ways in which I gain employment right around where, pretty much wherever I wanted to work overseas. So actually that's what I did. And I really wanted to become a cardiothoracic nurse, which is what I, I did for a while. But then went into emergency nursing and studied and trained as a trauma and thoracic nurse and then became a clinical nurse educator for the area of health in New South Wales. We were also at the time
2: youth leaders, youth
3: leaders first at Dulich Hill, then at Menai in um, New South Wales and life was good for us actually.
2: But there came a point after we got married where um, we had a few things happen in our life and we just thought, oh, we just need to get away and clear our heads.
3: We had a, a few miscarriages in, in quick succession, which was quite like sad for us and um, we just wanted to just take a break for a bit, you know, and just go and work and travel and do the things that we really love doing together back in England.
2: I worked as a nurse and I went to work in the media but that was a long story. The BBC closed in London and all the workers went to where I was going to work. So I ended up doing this sales job for an Hewlett Packard and one day they sent me on a sales course down to Birmingham and I was really going, this is not right. There was a real discontent inside and throughout that year we'd really detoxed from religion, we'd detoxed from church. There wasn't a church that we really felt comfortable in.
3: There was a lot of things that actually happened to us that really turned everything on its head, really challenged us, really kind of, as Pete suggested, detoxed us from church but really gave us a a bigger questioning and a bigger yearning of like what is it? that God is calling us to.
2: And it was in that time that we really had a really strong awareness that God was calling us. So much so that I was at this sales course in Birmingham and I was sitting in the lobby going, I hate this. And I looked across the road and I swear you not, the largest red shield you've ever seen on a rehab centre, like it was massive, Uh, was just like a beacon saying, "This, this is what you should be doing. And I'm just going... Okay, God, get the message.
3: And actually that sense of, wow, there's a bit of an irony here because for the first time in our lives we're not really attending church but this real deep sense of of a presence of God in our lives and actually a redirection and a reconnection. And
2: felt a little bit guilty because we'd been so used to going to church and then it was almost like it's okay.
3: But I'm not at church and actually I'm having an even closer relationship with God in this in this point, and he potentially is redirecting my path. And what does that mean? And so it challenged a lot of our, I think, preconceived ideas, mm. and which had been present from our foundation.
1: So that leads pretty much into my next question. Obviously, since you guys are commissioned, you've come to the Ballerine Peninsula um, to a core plant. So there's really been no church that you guys have had to come into. How has it sort of looked for you guys from from where you first started to to where you have come now, obviously, that growth, but not the traditional church that you would normally see?
3: So we came into college actually anticipating that we would be sent to a traditional small probably outback congregation Mm. Uh, and it wasn't actually until our second year of uh, college. We were actually sent to a very traditional core. It was Ringwood actually at Salvation Army, but... It was there that he really challenged a lot of our preconceived ideas, like of, of what is worship? Is this Sunday really all that he requires of us? Is this the highlight of his week? Is this really what is required and is this really pleasing to you?
2: And it wasn't such a thing like saying that that was a bad thing. No, it wasn't it like wasn't. going that church as we know it is bad, but for us we were like there's, there's something else. This, I don't know what it is, but there's something else. And throughout that whole period, I had like a death and resurrection experience one day where I just felt, I just had this vision of all this massive colonial kind of library full of files and all my sins were in there. And I just felt God just, I just died. And re, there was like a system reboot. And from that night, my brain changed. I started to read lots and lots of books And the books were all guided looking at the Jewishness of Jesus. And I I got led towards this book by uh, Neil Cole called uh, Cultivating a Life for God. And then I'm like, oh, I really connected with this book. And then I read another one that he wrote called Organic Church. I'm like, oh, I really love this book. And then there was other people like Michael Frost and Wolfgang Simpson. And I was reading their books going, oh, I really connect with this, like this idea of simple church or this idea of house church or the idea, I'm like, this has been our experience.
3: And it was during that time at Ringwood as well that we had random people that we didn't know come up and start saying to us, you are going to be planting next year. And... At that stage, planting wasn't really on the, I don't think, the Army's agenda. Like it wasn't. Like and they especially, certainly didn't know us. Especially we had cadets.
2: Not... Cadets planting was not on the agenda.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and actually when we were commissioned as planting, uh, the first, one of the first things that someone said to us is like, they've set you up for failure. Like that was the. That was actually... Yeah, they, the, felt,
2: they felt sorry for us. They
3: felt, they felt sorry for us because they actually mm-hmm. thought that the Salvation Army, yeah, that they were setting us up for
2: failure. It wasn't about us though because the God no. had been preparing us yeah and we knew so much so that wherever we went, we were going to be planting by the way Jesus suggested in Luke 10. You know, as a mm-hmm. disciple, you just simply go vulnerable into community and make disciples. You go and find people of peace. You stay with them. You heal them, you love them, model the reality of Jesus to them, and let as that let their transformed life be the catalyst for the kingdom in that community. And so we were so prepared to do that wherever we were sent. It was just ironic that we didn't realise that God was preparing something for us, which we could never have imagined.
3: You know, at that stage when we were commissioned, still didn't tell us our appointments prior to commissioning. It was only that you know these random people suddenly started saying. I I get the sense that you are going to be planting. that. After, it was only after a while that I started listening to those voices going, this is actually a reoccurring voice <laughs> and why would they be saying this because this person actually doesn't know me. And if the voice came, if that message came from a voice that I knew, like a friend of mine or something, which actually was very rare, so anyone that knew us actually never said it really, um, but I would eliminate those people. And actually by the time it came to Covenant, you know, um, Covenant Day, um, I actually – it was actually the prayer day set apart for Gidettes, um a couple of days prior to signing our covenant and I actually in my prayer journal uh, wrote, um, God, I, I sense that this is what you are calling us to, uh, this planting. Um, you know – Exodus 33 was very heavy on my heart that whole year of, of college, which was um, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us out from here. And I, I, I tested the spirit. I said, um, You know, I'm not one for odd numbers. Can you give me one more, you know, confirmation <laughs> before commissioning? This was a big call for us. I, I had not at all, in any way, been trained to, you know, uh, to plant. <laughs> so in fact, I was in fact, like, You did we a
2: planting were... survey in college. And and we, we still didn't get the, the results, results so back, so we, we, we
3: yeah we still them. could be really rubbish. <laughs> but like we just really believed by at that stage that even though we did not know from the Salvation Army, God had actually prepared us, and it was actually as I walked out onto the like the stage in front of all those people on that day of commissioning that, if we weren't actually given that that appointment, um, then I would probably have had to have resigned anyway because. I would then, it would call into disrepute what I really believed I was sensing and hearing from the Holy Spirit.
2: So when we got to the Bellarine Peninsula, the division had prepared a team of eight to ten people who lived in the area to um, be like a support team. Get, for planting
3: a church. A traditional, probably, a tr- yeah. more traditional.
2: So, But but chatting to the guys, we discovered that they each had kind of a different idea of what the church was was going to be, but it was all really about a consumer idea of they would come and we would preach or do whatever on a Sunday and then that would be it. And deep inside I'm just like this this is not this is not what we're gonna do. I mean if if you want that you've already got, you know, South Bowen down the road, Geelong down the road, Torquay down the road. So there's And lots of like and
3: lots you of know, other, churches other churches in the area
2: already where you could go and, and get that. And you know, we had a little baby Ella um, so the Pete and Die show on a Sunday morning with a little baby, we were just having these flashbacks to when we were at Ringwood going, we can't
3: we I was can't. also six months pregnant with yeah, our with James. baby James. So, <laughs> so we it wasn't so it wasn't we, like that. But there was also a day in college that we sat through a leadership development, you know, course, which was which was really great. But that once again, that was another day where we That really challenged us, as far as well. We haven't really opened the Bible for this actual course much, and so we were kind of joking amongst ourselves. Imagine if we just applied Luke ten. Like, I don't know. For some reason, we happen to be looking at Luke ten. How
2: about we just take Jesus at His word and do what He and just
3: apply it. Like,
2: (laughs) sounds good. Sounds crazy, but that was the that was the world that we were in, you know. Um, what was the formula for church? You know, how do you get it together? What's the win? You know, what's the silver bullet that's going to make it all work? And the whole time we're just like, hang on.
3: What is Jesus telling us? What <laughs> is Jesus telling us? And <laughs> maybe he, could, maybe so he we, could work in this situation. <laughs> so we
2: spoke to this uh, team of wonderful people, really nice people, and they didn't really understand what we were trying to do. Um, perhaps I didn't explain it well enough, but they didn't really. Want to get behind the idea of just disciple making in the community, building relationships, and the people. You know, they, some of these people have already been part of churches and they'd invested in people and perhaps been burnt before, so they're like, "I don't really want to build too many relationships." So fair enough. And, and then we're just like, you know what? I I just don't know whether this is going to work. So they all ended up going to other churches, and we ended up just building relationships with people in the community. And we're still friends with those people. They're lovely people. But um, we ended up finding people of peace in Luke 10, that is people who were not necessarily Christians. In fact, predominantly they weren't. But they were really open to the Salvation Army, really open to being cared for by us, and they wanted that relationship. So we would meet people through our ordinary everyday life, um, through doing the Red Shield Appeal, I went round to all the primary schools in the area and asked if if they would like to support the Red Shield Appeal. And one particular school um, in on the Bellarine, the St Leonard's School, uh, the wellbeing worker there um, said, actually, I don't know about the Red Shield Appeal, but I could do with your help with, with a family. So really we connected him with that family by just going to their home and had coffee with them and, and it was... Really, just from that encounter with that family and caring for that family, that a gathering kind of started around that family, which not long after that, we started to meet at the school just as an excuse to get together and model the kingdom of Jesus. So we had food um, and drinks. And, you know, but God's hand was on the whole thing because the only cooking facilities that the school had was a pie warmer in a shed out the back, almost like the Jesus story, like the, the manger scene, you know, there's this cold little shed out the back. And just so happened that week, we had a donation of pies. Just randomly they called up. And the only thing they had in there was the pie warmer. And then we had donation of milks. And so we met together with these pies and milks and we had some games and It was in that early stage, the messy process of just journeying with people on the path of life and it was some of those relationships that uh, we initially met with, we're in contact with a lot of those people still but some of those early um, relationships, they are now our key leaders in our core really um, today. So they've gone on a big journey with us over the last seven and a half years um, and those guys... As their lives have transformed, they have become part of the Salvation Army. They are the Salvation Army. So rather than actually get everyone to come to church, we went to the community and as the lives have transformed, communities have formed around those transformed lives. So to articulate that or give that a language, we've called that a missional community. So it's a community that's holistically caring for people body mind and spirit just as Jesus suggested in you know in his life and ministry uh, but at the same time there's no we haven't taken our culture and imposed it on them and said now we're going to have this particular church service or something and this is what it's going to look like we have just gone to them love them and over time and the time part is important to stress it has taken time but a community has formed around their culture and what they need and what what's relevant to them. And that for us has been mind-blowing because we had no clue when Jesus said, go make disciples, that that would lead to a chain reaction of a whole brand new culturally relevant community that's, that's formed out of that.
1: So obviously people like to see results now and as you said, it takes time and, Patience. How do you guys deal with the pressures that come around for you, you with know, Dave? Because people may say, "Oh, you know, what do you you know is your church growing? What's actually going on? You know, it's taking a time, all that sort of stuff." Because people want results now. How do you guys deal with those pressures?
2: Well, actually, well, we've had some really great people along the way who like really great mentors. When we we're in college, I did the church planting course, but while we were there, um, Major Brian Pratt got up and. Said gave a word to me. Said, Peter, you, you're gonna get this guy from America that's gonna contact you, and he's gonna help you. And I'm like, Oh yeah, here we go. The guy from America. Here we go. And ironically, a guy from America was a big help um, because it was through Neil Cole, who uh, who wrote Organic Church, who I, I I we got mentored from. There's another guy who actually was at that church planning workshop called Peter Reinfeld who's a Seventh-day Adventist um, missionary, his stories just energised my heart. But these two gentlemen, Peter Reinfeldt and Neil Cole, they are people who have walked the walk. So it's been really helpful to have people who have gone before us who have been able to share with us. Oh, you know, for example, they'd say, after three years you'll have like a small group. That's okay. And I'll be like, so when we get to when we got to 3 years and we had this small group of people um we're like okay that's where we should be and then you know and because they're journeying they've been on that journey there was lots of little things along along the way that um prepared us and just as that's happening now we are the catalysts for others and the life of Jesus ironically <laughs> the actual life story of Jesus was something that we've clung, clung onto as the model as well. The, not the, the, the reality of his life, you know, his birth uh, and then death, resurrection has been amazing and, and, and all the bits in between has been an amazing, um, amazing um, study and reality that we've held on to. I mean, even the whole idea of going vulnerable into community Jesus has set this example. I mean, it's not yeah. like he's asking us to do anything new. So the whole idea of God sending his son vulnerable as a baby into community um, to people of peace who God had prearranged, uh, God's modelled this before us. So when before I said our mentors, we had mentors. We also have the chief mentor of Jesus who's modelled this journey for us. And the whole idea of going and getting a church of, hundreds of people was completely not how Jesus did it. He had 12 disciples who he invested heavily into. Yes, he spoke to crowds every now and then. But out of those 12, he also spoke to three. He had the three close, you know, Peter, James and John, those close disciples. So for us, investing in that that small group of people has been what we've done. And as we said, there was criticisms from other churches that this perhaps wasn't where we were meant to be or, or how you do it. But,
3: but we also had a strong sense of peace that this actually mm. was what God. Mm. And uh, we would be doing a huge disservice if we didn't actually uh, respond to what God was calling us to. The reality of Jesus in community is really messy and the Bible demonstrates that to us but somehow we still want to clinicalise it. Like we really want it to be nice, neat, tidy, lovely, a nice package of model citizens and actually the reality of Jesus in community is it's messy. not often like that. Uh, and I think probably the biggest learning curve for me as a leader is actually just sitting in that mess sometimes and just going, it's messy. And the days when you think, oh, my God, like you are not working where are you? Is the days then
2: he shows up? He
3: shows up like you know, and he, they will be in ways that I never anticipated, or they'll think they'll be in the people that I totally thought had fallen away, and then you know we were commissioned as prayer warriors. Mm. prayer is our warfare, come lead us, Lord. That was our commissioning song and mm. and uh prayer is our warfare, come lead us, lord like i I didn't realize at the time how incredibly. Uh, prophetic those words would be in my life as, as far as just the inherent need and desire to be in prayer and always seeking God's guidance and direction.
2: Because basically we're always sitting there going... I have no idea. We have no, we have, we have <laughs> we no don't clue have what's going on. God, we need you to show up. We need you to raise up people. And, you know, Luke 10 verse 2 says, Beg the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. So we took that seriously and every day at 1002... We set our phone alarms to go off as a reminder of that verse. So every day when that goes off, no matter where we are, it's like, God, please raise up workers for the harvest. Uh, The alarm goes off. The kids are like, time to pray. Um, And we just sincerely believe that that has been the key to it all. The, The catalyst is Jesus. God is raising up the people, God is doing the work, he's the missionary, he's the one um, that's inspiring us, he's the one doing it all and he tells us what to do and when we're obedient and and we do what he says, we're not really doing anything unbelievable because we're just responding to him. And we might think it's crazy but when we respond to him, he gets all the glory because he created the idea of us going in the first place. He had prearranged the people that we were going to anyway. So it was the whole overwhelming idea that it is all about prayer and it is all about obedience. And uh, I think that's been. And
3: partnering with God partnering in community. God. In community. Like, and believing that actually we don't have the answers, uh, that God didn't bring us here with the answers mm. for the community. Actually, God is already pre existent, working in community. We are to have their eyes and ears, you know, like Revelation. What does the Spirit say to the churches? We need to be really watching and and listening for God because he is moving in community in ways that we don't necessarily understand or perhaps want to admit either, you know.
2: And choosing people who we in the church perhaps wouldn't choose to connect with. You know, like the shepherds, that Jesus chose the shepherds, the untrustworthy messengers or the, the tax collectors who everybody hated or the Samaritan woman or the demoniac, you know, all the unlikely characters. God has sent us to co- people who are, are, are basically good people but not the people you would choose. And God is raising up people who just are ordinary folk who just have a passion to want what God wants for them. And some of them have very checkered lives, um, but they are wonderful people who have uh, allowed the reality of God into their lives. And because we have trusted them and because we have loved them and not judged them, they feel wanted, valued, cared for. And that trust is what they've desperately needed to get up out of where they were. And we just say, go. Jesus says, go. And you so say, we go on that journey together. And you know, in the time that we've been together, well, nearly eight years, we have seen men, women, children, teenagers, you know, senior citizens step up and, and step up into the mission of Jesus. People who had never been to church before, people who wouldn't have never be seen dead in church, but people they just weren't interested in church. But they're actually interested in the mission of God, and they're interested because they're loved.
3: And I think also, you know, Christianity and the image of Christianity in Australia or across the world really is um, like Pete mentioned has, has got its image of its own which is, is quite polar opposite to the reality of Jesus. And, mm. and, and people watch you. Mm. If they know that you're a person of faith, We've known people that have come out of the like the walls after years of having observed us and they'll come out and suddenly we won't have known that they've been observing us but they'll come up and say, I've been watching you for a long time now because what they want to see is the reality of Jesus. And I think underneath the fabrics of our society is brokenness mm. and disconnectedness and sadness and this inner sense of longing for something greater themselves and Perhaps that same sense of when I was a little girl, of looking out, just potentially there is something greater than what is just us and me and 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 people, even if they don't believe it, actually believing in the essence of Jesus' message of of connection with God, with each other, of loving each other and caring for each other and and healing and Reconciliation, like all of these things, actually people are longing for. What they're really desperately looking for is the light of Jesus, the light of love that shines brightest in the darkest
2: Mm -hmm. places. And the beauty of the prayer, like that we pray every day, is that we are believing that God is amongst these people already right now, raising them up out of the darkness. So when they see us in community and they're looking that, uh, you know
3: There's something is, about is that,
2: you. I don't know what it is. Yeah. There's something wonderful about what's going on in that community. They can't put their finger on it. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to watch. And many people are watching and then at some point they're like, I've been watching and I want to be part of it. And they don't even know what they're part of. It's mm. God is calling them into something. And that's what I love because you can't explain God. You don't know what it is. You can't mm. actually say this is God. You could say Jesus is God, but... No one's seen him, so what is it? And so there's this element that there's this unknown mystery that's at work and they're getting to see it, they're getting to taste it. And so for us, that's the exciting part because that's not from us. We just get part of that too. That builds our faith, that builds their faith and this movement starts to happen that's genuine through their social networks so for example we had a a guy recently join our community who had said that he came to the youth group one night and said the only reason i'm here is because i've been watching you guys and i want to be part of it that's pretty much what he said word for word and now he is a big part of it and his whole family are a big part of it you know and um, his kids come to the junior soldiers and god is laying. Uh, actually, he's so a much a part
3: of it that he actually is hard to get rid of. <laughs> like, he's, like every time we turn around, he's like, "Hello!" <laughs> like, he's, we're just he's just like, such on earth did a you wonderful
2: bloke, you know, really <laughs> great bloke. And he's had a checkered past, but he's a really great bloke. And so he's following. He's he's a new man. He's a new creation. But the funny thing is, you know, we we met him um, through the school. He's now like connecting with all these people at the school, just unintentionally loving people caring for people and and getting people involved in the mission so we have an outreach van and he's getting people to come on the outreach van we also have a counseling service which has come around to transform life who wanted to step up and go I want to help and I'm a counselor or you know family therapist I want to help you guys so he's now connecting these families into that not intentionally he's just talking about it because he's sold out about it and um That's what I love about this. It's not contrived. It's not fake. It's a reality that speaks for itself. It's just this wonderful reality where you see God internally transforming people and that has a chain reaction which is forming a community like I've never experienced before. In all the church communities I've ever been in, I've never experienced this type of community which is organically forming around transformed lives. It's fascinating. Yeah.
1: So obviously with that it takes a lot of time because you're having to build relationships with a lot of people and all that sort of stuff. And as you mentioned earlier, I, <clears throat> when you were commissioned out of training college, you had Ella who was about two at the time and you were pregnant with six months pregnant with James. <laughs> um So how have you been able to manage obviously motherhood and young children in your ministry, Um, you know, because that can be quite a difficult thing in trying to balancing both lifestyles really?
3: So we were commissioned, started our appointment. uh, He was born in the May. um,
2: Mid-semester. And I was –
3: yeah, mid-semester, unfortunately. So I still studied all through that first semester and then had had James and then was still writing essays and they were both at home uh, pretty much not – well, James was not in childcare at all, obviously, and, um, and Ella was like a day and a half a week at that stage. We were still travelling to Melbourne um, a couple of times a week to, to keep studying our units and, and things like that. Life was pretty full on. I've got a pretty high work ethic as well. So I remember one day thinking, how on earth am I going to balance this? And I remember getting out a spreadsheet and trying to work out how I was going to be doing at least our a, a, a day across, you know, across a week and trying to balance my life. And I think the reality of that, we're talking about, as I said, unrealistic and realistic expectations Mm. and the reality you know you have to face what is what is in front of me at the moment and how can I actually really realistically address this situation of family and ministry and for us as a as a partnership at that stage we as I said we had to look at what was realistic for us and um with James you know I was feeding James and and Ella was only little I in those early days, it it became apparent that potentially I was the one that was going to I was going to have to stay at home and and look at after, other kids and be engaged in community as much as I could. But actually, at this stage in at point of time, it was more realistic for Pete to be the one that would go out and build relationships within the community as far as that concerned. However, like I like I still. We sat for hours next to the pool building relationships. Some of our, you know, I look back on those days and think, wow, some of our leaders that are really stepping up now and, and investing yeah. in our community came from those pool. early days sitting by the pool, you know. Um,
2: Watching the Ella learn to swim and chatting with other parents where their kids were learning to swim.
3: I I mean, I just think that God is everywhere. Mm. He is in all things and He is in all relationships that you are, you know, that you form. Like, we just proactive in community and
2: and leave it up to God
3: and leave it up to God. Like, and I just think you you can't be unrealistic. You can't, you know. You just have to you have to be realistic with what is is bef- before you manage. You do have to work, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. But you have to balance your your life as well.
2: And they have had like the kids have had amazing amounts of time with us. You know, like. We can always pick them up after school. They've never had to go to after-school care, you know. They've had a lot of attention where we've been able to nurture them.
3: A lot of our ministries have formed around them mm. just by nature of who they are. Like, you know, they go to we've school,
2: you meet the parents, you meet the kids, you go to their homes because they have playdates and you, meet, you just meet people on the path of life. And We're
3: now suddenly, in, you know, in the school as a, as a chaplain because of the relationships we've built up. You know, I'm on, like, deputy school council president and finance and uh, kids' voice and you just engage and people then go, get to know you and then
2: Well, just by being a you when you're a light in the community that's, you know, often the world is so chaotic, so dark, so broken... But just when you're a light or or when you're salt or, or when you're you know, caring for people, you're just naturally attractive anyway. Uh, and people see that and go, that's what I want. So relationships have formed that way. It's not like we've had to go and learn an evangelism style and get people saved so that they can then go to church. And no, it's just we've modeled the reality of Jesus to people, the Great Commission, and just as the second half of the Great Commission says, teach them to obey my commands. So that's basically teaching them to listen to God and do what he says. So really, realistically, that's just a long process. And, you know, conversations come up where we talk about God. We don't, they, they, they know we don't hide it. We don't push it down anyone's throat, but we don't hide it. And we praise God a lot and we thank him. Uh, especially through social media, we're always talking about what God is doing because that's the reality. And so when people start to see that it's a reality, they go, I, I, I want to be part of that. So the kids have been a big part of that, a major part of that, and not just as, uh, in, in connecting with others, but they themselves now at school are shining lights at school. Do you know what I mean? They, <laughs> are, they are modeling Jesus at school which has been wonderful to see.
3: And we really try to engage them in ministry as much as possible because they are our ministry as well and they're part of our ministry and a really important part of our ministry. And actually they're the, often our gauge to, to go how we're going. <laughs> you know, and often, you know, children are are awesome to have around you because they are the ones that will always give you the reality check.
1: They <laughs> mm. no, always, always tell you the truth pretty much. Yeah, they yeah. really
3: do. And I love it. I love, you know, trying to... F- see and find ways in which I can engage them with us. Like, you know, and we are fortunate in the fact that they want to be a part of ministry at this stage. But, you know, kids camp and youth camp, we go as leaders. So we're there. Like, mm. you know, we're always engaging. And they and it's. I think it's really good for us as parents, as Salvation Army officers, to really model what, le- what good leadership is to our children as well.
2: Doing ministry with our kids, I think, is really important because otherwise they grow up seeing hypocrisy. They, they grow up seeing... Oh, they say one thing, but they don't model something else. So it's been really important for us to be the same people in private and in public.
3: But also instill, you know, good discipline, spiritual disciplines into their life. So you know, every night I'll sit with Ella and do her devotions, and with her, or I'll do my devotions, and and it's just modelling that reality that you want as well. So I will model. To her, what I'm doing, like I will do my devotions. No point in me doing my devotions in private. Like it's actually good for her to see that what I'm asking of her, I'm actually doing as well. So,
0: well, that's it for week one. That was starting a missional community with Pete and Di Hobbs, and questions by candidate Paul Trotter. Next week, uh, we're going to continue the conversation with these guys looking at being a missional community. So why don't you uh, check in next Thursday and uh, grab the next podcast. Questions, comments, hit us up. Thanks for joining us for more about Officership. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash SA Candidates Australia. If you want to explore Officership further, please speak to your local Corps officer or Candidate Secretary. The Salvation Army needs more leaders. Is God asking for more of you?